And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's part two of the Burns and Allen show with special guest Loretta Young. Then, it's international intrigue on Cloak and Dagger, starring Raymond Edward Johnson from 1950. With me, as always, is my executive producer and engineer, Mike Costello. What's up, Mike? Hey, Carl. Well, Lisa's not here yet. Uh, she's no, no. interviewing Louie Anderson. I can't I wait to I hear I think I just saw her flying around in a rocket ship, actually. <laughs> yeah. She has all kinds of uh, modes of transportation, yeah. that Lisa Wolf. Pretty soon she'll be teleporting herself. She'll be able to do that. Because yeah. I know she has uh, scientists working on that for her as well. She's she, a very busy gal. She might be stalling that, though, because then if you're asking her to come in immediately, then oh. she would have to. Yeah. No, no, no. She, 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 you're right. She wouldn't do that. Right. Okay, no, not. <laughs> at all. All right. Well, I'm sure she's have. She sent me some pictures, so I know she's having a good time cool. interviewing Louie Anderson. We'll probably hear from Lisa a little later in the show. But right now, it's time for the conclusion to the Burns and Allen show. We began listening to this last time on Hollywood 360, and Loretta Young is uh, their special guest star. Let's go back to November 23rd, 1943, for the conclusion now of the Burns and Allen show. Now remember, Gracie, room 202 Arcade Building. We're gonna, we're gonna meet the attorneys there at 5 o'clock and try to settle out of court. Yes, dear. Even then, we'll have to pay Loretta Young plenty. But that doesn't seem fair. I'm an honest person, and I made an honest mistake. Isn't there some way I can cheat her out of the money? <laughs> Gracie, there's only one thing could save us. If Loretta Young really had a secret lover. You mean if a secret lover actually showed up, she couldn't sue us? Hiya, folks. Well, Bill, sit right down. How nice to see you. Well, I'm going to stop off at the cigar store. See you at five, Gracie. Oh, Bill, have I got a surprise. Yeah? What would you do if I told you that a beautiful, glamorous movie star was secretly in love with you? Oh, I'd just laugh and believe it. <laughs> oh, I knew you would. It's Loretta Young. Well, gee, you mean I'm the guy you wrote about in that article? Sure. Loretta Young's mad about you. She's crazy about you. I knew this would happen if I didn't stop washing my face with Swan. <laughs> Swan is just so doggone wonderful, it made me even more irresistible than I used to be. Oh, Bill, you're too modest. Oh, well, Swan's not only great for washing your hands and face, but just the soap for bathing the baby. And it's great for dishes or light laundry. Swan is four swell soaps in one. You know what Loretta likes about you, Bill? What? Your dimples. Oh. 
<laughs> My dimples aren't so much. Oh. <laughs> uh, they're adorable when you smile. Oh, you don't say. Well, I must smile more often. <clears throat> Let's see now. Doctors recommend Swan, the new white floating soap for bathing the baby. It's mild as fine Castile. It's so mild as kind even to a little baby said this year. Hey, do they show, Gracie? Oh, yes, yeah. Good. And since Swan is so mild, well, it's just well for your hands and face, your complexion. Oh, Bill, whatever you do, stay away from Loretta Young. She's so crazy about you that if she sees you, she'll grab you and kiss you and hug you and squeeze you, and you wouldn't want that to happen. Oh, no, she might break the bar of swan in my pocket. Sure. Well, on second thought, it wouldn't be bad. No? No, then I could put half in the kitchen and half in the bathroom. <laughs> swan breaks in two, you know, so you can use half for your hands and face tub or shower and half for your dishes and light laundry. Well, Bill, please remember to stay away from Loretta. She'll be in the arcade building at 5 o'clock. Oh, well, I won't go near her, Gracie. Um, uh, what room should I stay away from? 202. 202. Well, I'll go straight home. I don't want any movie stars kissing me. <laughs> well, well, well. Hello, Mr. Burns. Oh, hello, Stanley. Give me three of my regular cigars. Yes, sir. Perfecto Royales. I'll uh, get them out of the safe. You keep them in the safe? Oh, yes, I have to. If I don't, they smell up the whole place. Uh, here are your three cigars Here's your nickel Thank you <laughs> You uh, seem depressed today, Mr. Burns Trouble at home? You said it On account of my wife's latest brainstorm I'm being sued for $50,000 $50,000? My, my, that's a lot of Perfecto Royale Oh, yes Greetings, Stanley She's I, Bolingbroke hmm. Well, hello, friend Burns Hello, Q-Ball. Mr. Burns isn't feeling well, Q-Ball. He's being sued for $50,000. The paltry sum. Why, when I was the idol of the American stage, I spent that much annually on cigars alone. Hmm. Oh, sure. And uh, speaking of cigars, uh, when you have had your fill of that one, may I toy with the butt, please? <laughs> Q-Ball, don't bother me. I... Say, Holy, I just had an idea. How would you like to make some money? With a minimum of effort. <laughs> I'll give you five dollars to pose as Loretta Young's secret lover. What? You wish me to lie, to deceive, to utter crass falsehood about an innocent damsel? I, bowling broke, a man of honor? Not for one cent less than seven dollars. <laughs> I'll give you a five. All you have to do is come to the arcade building, room 202, at five o'clock and do your stuff. Seven dollars and not a cent less. Five dollars and not a cent more. Sir, it is not my custom to quibble over pennies. Six seventy-five. <laughs> now, look, boy, just because you have me over a barrel... Well, I no... do have you over a barrel, don't I? Farewell, Bert. Hey, Q-Ball, Wait! Poor, poor Mr. Burns. Such a nice man. And if he goes broke, I'll be stuck with all those horrible cigars. Hmm. The arcade building, room 202. Oh, hello, Loretta. Is your lawyer in? Yes. He's in the next office drawing up some papers. 
I'm glad you decided to settle out of court, Gracie. Well, I've changed my mind about that, Loretta. You see, I know that when I get on the stand in front of that jury, I... Oh, by the way, would you lift your skirt just a little? My skirt? Oh, you mean like this? Yes. Why, your legs are pretty, too. This is going to be an awfully close case. (laughs) No, you haven't got a chance, Gracie. I have no secret lover. (laughs) One never knows, does one? Uh, Have you the time? Yes, it's, uh, just five o'clock. Well, here I am, Loretta, dimples and all. (laughs) I beg your pardon? Well, don't just stare at me like that, Loretta. Come on, grab me in your arms. Just who are you? Oh, as if you didn't know. I'm your secret lover, lover. What? One never knows, does one? There must be some mistake. Oh, there's no mistake. Can't a stick a finger in one of my dimples? Oh, Loretta, there goes your case. Now, look here. Just a moment. Miss Young, take a look at this man I brought with me. Well, who is he? I, madam, am your secret lover. My what? I, madam, am your secret lover. My, Loretta, you've been a busy little girl, haven't you? Well, now I suppose that... Uh, How do you do, Miss Young? Who are you? Your secret lover. My gracious, the place is just crawling with them. Now, little man, you turn right around and march out that door. And take that ham actor with you. Uh, Yes, ma'am. You can go, too, Dimples. Come on, lovers. Now, suppose we discuss this lawsuit sensibly. Now that my love parade has passed. All right. I guess I may as well tell the truth. Yes, it's about time. Yeah. Your real secret lover is George Burns. <laughs> oh, Gracie, please. Well, what's so funny? George would be a wonderful <laughs> secret lover. Oh. Well, he would. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Break this up. What's so funny about it? Gee, you think I... Sorry, I just can't stay mad at you. I'm ready to call this whole thing off if you are. You mean it, Loretta? Yes, I do. Now, Gracie, you'll just print a retraction in the next issue of the magazine. We'll forget all about it. Oh, well, I'll be glad to print a retraction, Loretta. In fact, I'll write a new article denying that you have a secret lover. Good. I've got a wonderful title for it. What? Nobody Loves Loretta Young. Oh. Here they are again, George and his ever-loving missus, Gracie. <laughs> Honestly, Gracie, the messes you get me in, I just... Well, I can't help it, George. We French, we're so excitable, so passionate. <laughs> you're, uh, you're French? Oh, la, la. <laughs> what's, what's this all about, anyway? Well, George, don't you know who's going to be on our program next week? Charles Boyer. Oh, uh, that's why you're French? Trey, of course. Our guest tonight, Miss Loretta Young, is currently working in the Paramount picture, Now Tomorrow. The makers of Swan, the new white floating soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune in to your Columbia station again next week, same time, when we'll have as our guest... Charles Boyer. The following week, Ida Lupino. 
Remember, George Burns and Gracie Allen, CBS next Tuesday night. And now till next week, this is Bill Goodwin saying, Well, I swan, how about you? Good night. And that's the Burns and Allen Show from November 23rd, 1943. George Burns and Gracie Allen starring, along with their special guest, Loretta Young. That was sponsored by Swan Soap with Joseph Kearns and Hans Conried in the supporting cast. Is heard on CBS. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's Cloak and Dagger. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360 broadcasting across about 200 radio stations from coast to coast. And if for any reason you miss any portion of our four-hour show each week, you can always go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com, and check out our podcast. It's there, the entire four-hour Hollywood 360 show. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com and check out our podcast. There's also other fun stuff there, including pictures and our schedule and our surprise box packages and our banner for our free app at Hollywood360radio.com. So check it out. It's time now for Cloak and Dagger. This was an espionage drama series. This series featured fascinating stories of the Office of Strategic Services, the precursor of our Central Intelligence Agency. And in 1950, NBC decided to air a fact-based espionage anthology with Willis Cooper at the helm. You know that name? He was the creator of Lights Out and also Quiet Please. Very, very prolific producer, Willis Cooper. He also produced Whitehall 1212. Now, this series was broadcast from New York. It featured the East Coast's greatest talents, including Raymond Edward Johnson, Joseph Julian, Barry Kroger, Leon Janney, Jackson Beck, and many others. We have an episode for you now from September 29, 1950. This is called The Last Mission. It stars Raymond Edward Johnson. Part one now of Cloak and Dagger. Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines? Knowing you may never return alive? What you have just heard is the question asked during the war of agents of the OSS. Ordinary citizens who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Black Warfare. Espionage International Intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. Today's adventure, The Last Mission, the story of an American OSS agent in Canton, China, is suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. He must have had another name, but I never knew what it was. Everybody on the waterfront called him Charlie. He was old and he limped and he should have drunk less and shaved more. We'd see him on the wharves in the afternoons in his dirty dungarees and torn sweater, begging cigarettes from sailors. Then, evenings, he would hobble into Lee Chen's tavern where I worked to beg for something else. Hey, Tanya! 
Hey, ain't you going to buy Charlie one little drink, eh? No, I'm not, Charlie. No drinks on the house tonight. Oh, but tonight's the night. There ought to be drinks in the house. Are you forgetting it was just five years ago tonight? Canton fell to the Japanese. <laughs> we got to celebrate, don't we? <laughs> What's the matter? I, I say something wrong. I don't like your sense of humor. Oh, I, I don't see what you got again, the Japs, Johnny. With all them nationalities mixed up in you, you probably got some Jap blood yourself. No, no, I haven't. Every other kind may be Spanish and Russian, even Irish, but there's not a drop of Jap blood in the Bonillas. All right, all right, all right. Don't get steamed up. I still say there's no reason for you to hate them. What do you care who's running Canton? I told him then. I don't know why I did. I've never told anyone else how they'd murdered my family in Nanking six years before. My father, my mother, my two sisters. The Japs had killed them all. And if we hadn't got out of the city ahead of them, they'd have killed my brother Florian and myself. So, uh, so you wasn't always a waitress in a waterfront dive, huh, Tanya? No. And my brother didn't always prowl the streets looking for trouble. I got the Japs to thank for that. Now maybe you can understand. Easy, Tanya. We got visitors. What do they want now? Checking identification papers again. You impress arise. Always arise in the presence of the soldiers. Remember that hereafter. No. Your papers, Chris. Here. Tanya Bonilla. Born in Madrid. You are Spanish, but you have Russian first name. And an Irish middle name. What does that make me? Perhaps makes you anyway Aryan, Captain. Yes, Lieutenant. It would be uh, very dull in Canton if we put all the beautiful girls in jail. That is true. Your papers are in order, Miss Bonilla. And now, your papers, Chris. Who, me? Huh? I ain't got no papers, Captain. What you done with them? Well, I don't know. I guess you must have lost them. What is your nationality? I don't know that neither. Nobody never told me. Seems like I've been around Canton since it was knee-high. You right? are an American, perhaps? <laughs> American? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Take him away, Lieutenant. No, no, wait a minute, sir. Where's your horses, Cut. will you? I ain't gonna do you guys no good locked up in the brig. But uh, I could help you plenty if I was free to... The mosey around the dock. You come now, or I Wait, Lieutenant. What do you mean, old man? How could that help us? Why, uh, I get around, Captain. Old Charlie talks to everybody, and everybody talks to me. And they ain't too careful what they say, neither. <laughs> if anybody was planning any monkey business, sabotage, or anything like that, old Charlie would be just about the first to know about it. And you would... Report it to us? <laughs> Why not? You're the guys who are running the show, so you're the guys I take orders from. <laughs> See what I mean? They saw what he meant. And when they left, he was still sitting with me, grinning as if he were proud of what he had done. I got up without a word and went to the bar and bought a drink. I brought it back and held it out. Hey, did you buy that for me, Tanya? 
Yes, I bought it for you. Well, now, that's mighty nice of you. Let me have it. I'll let you have it. There! Hey! What's the idea of throwing good whiskey in my face? What's the idea of that? I couldn't find words to tell you what I think of you, Charlie. But I wanted you to know. I was sorry afterward. After all, Charlie was old and hungry and half-cracked. I should have saved it for somebody else. Someone closer and dearer to me. I should have saved it for my brother, Florian, who was waiting for me when I got home. I thought you'd never get here, Tanya. Hurry up and change your clothes. We're going to a party. A party? What party, Florian? Well, it's sort of an anniversary banquet. You know, five years in Canton. There are going to be a lot of important people there. Chinese, Japanese, both. Big celebration. Oh, and we're going to celebrate with them? Oh, we, we weren't invited, of course, but I, I know a fellow at the door, he's going to let us in. We rub shoulders with some of the most important people in Canton. Maybe even with the men who murdered your mother and father. What? Oh, nah, don't, don't be like that, Tanya. That was a long time ago. These aren't the same fellows who took Nanking. They're Japanese. Yeah, yeah, we're but... not going to the party, Florian. We got nothing to celebrate. No? Well, maybe you're not going, but I am. Why? Because I know what side my bread is buttered on, that's why. The Jap side? As long as they're top dog, yes. And it looked like they're going to be top dog for a long time. I see. You're a traitor to our family, Florian. We haven't got family, Tanya. We haven't got anything. And we never will have unless one of us starts playing on the winning team. I didn't sleep well that night. I lay there in the dark, feeling as if I were alone in, in a world of enemies. That same feeling haunted me all the next day at Lee Chen's. Charlie didn't come to the tavern that evening. I didn't see him till I was through working, till I stepped out into the dark street. Then a shadowy figure came staggering up to me. Uh, uh, You're drunk, Charlie. You better go home. That's just what I was thinking, Tanya. Boy, I can't seem to get there. The street keeps going round in circles. How about you kind of steer old Charlie along? I'm sorry. I want to get home myself. It's late. Oh, come on, Tanya. Be spoiled. Let's break from Cloak and Dagger. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to Dangerous Assignment. If there is anything I can do to help clear up this matter, I will be only too glad to do so. That's uh, being pretty cooperative, Khalid. The sooner the murder is solved, the sooner my name will be cleared of these absurd and vicious charges of betraying my country by allowing secret documents to pass into the hands of the others. Just a minute, Khalid. What makes you think your wife's murder is tied in with the other deal? Why, uh, I just assumed that it was. I see. I'd like you to tell me where you were last night, Khalid. Of course. Abura and I went first to dinner at Ali's restaurant. Who's Abura? My aide and secretary. Uh, Go on. Then he drove me over to the new civic building. The dedication ceremony was last night. 
The building is not ready for use yet, as the cement work is not completed. But they wish to dedicate it anyway, and I was the principal speaker. After the ceremony, Abura and I drove back here to my home. What time was it? I would say it was about midnight when we got here. The lights were on, but my wife was missing. There were evidences of a struggle, furniture overturned, and and bloodstains. I immediately called the police. We commenced a search immediately, Mitchell, but it was not until this morning that the body was discovered. Oh, poor Saharita. Khalid, uh, did your wife have any enemies? Enemies? Somebody who had a reason for killing her? But everyone loved Saharita. She was kind and gentle. Uh, looks like at least one person didn't exactly love her. Wait. Old Mikan. Who? Mikan, our servant. My wife dismissed him several days ago. Oh, why? She would not tell me her reasons, and I did not press her. But I believe there was a quarrel between them at the time. I see. Any idea where we could find this servant? No. No, when my wife dismissed Mikan, he moved into the city. But where, I do not know. Uh, Khalid, can you describe him for us? I can do better than that. I believe there is a picture of him in one of these drawers. Ah, yes, yes. Here you are, gentlemen. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Just one more thing, Khalid. Yes? I'm still interested in knowing why you connect your wife's murder to the other incident regarding the document. Why, uh, I suppose because the two events took place within a few days of each other. Uh, according to Lieutenant Hama, your story is that somebody stole that document from your house here. But of course. Did you have it locked up in a safe? What? Well, no, it was in a desk drawer. Oh, sounds like a pretty careless way to treat an important document, colleague. On the contrary, I felt I was being clever, Mr. Mitchell. I reasoned that the obvious place would be the safe and that if I merely placed the document in a desk drawer, it would be safer. But it would appear that my stratagem backfired. Yeah, it sure would appear that way. Well, come on, Lieutenant Hummer. If I may be of any further help in this matter, gentlemen, please let me know. Don't worry, we will. Well, what do you think, Mitchell? About Khalid? Yes. I don't know, Lieutenant Hummer. He seems real anxious to help. Maybe a little too anxious. That was my thought, too. His story sounded almost rehearsed. I beg your pardon, gentlemen. Yes? It is permitted to see Khalid now. I am Abura, his aide. Sure, sure, but we'd like to ask you a couple of questions first, Abura. Certainly. Were you with Khalid last evening? Yes. All evening? Why, yes. Up until the time I drove him home, which was about midnight, it was then that we discovered the disappearance of his wife. Hmm, that coincides with what Khalid told us, Mitchell. Yeah. What did the two of you do last night, Abura? Why, first we had dinner at a restaurant named Ali's, a favorite place at Khalid's. Then I drove him to the building which he was to dedicate. There was the ceremony and his speech. Uh, after that, I drove him back to his house here. I see. Well, that all checks. Okay, Abura, thank you. Hey, you're quite welcome. Come on, Lieutenant. Yes, well, that sort of puts Khalid in the clear, I guess. Mm. Yes, and it increases my interest in his servant great. Mikan? Yeah. I think we'd better try and locate him right now. See if we can find out just why Khalid's wife canned him. So we start checking all the hotels and rooming houses in the city. Four hours and 16 hotels later, we find a desk clerk who recognizes the picture of Mikan. He tells us that Mikan checked out an hour ago and took a taxi cab to the depot. We do likewise in a hurry. Mitchell, it would appear that our case is beginning to fall into place. Several days ago, the secret document disappears. Shortly after that, Khalid's wife dismisses the servant Mikan. 
Last night, Kali's wife is murdered, and now this morning, Mikan appears to be trying to flee the city. You think uh, Mikan's the boy who stole the document and knocked off Kali's wife, huh? It would certainly appear that he... Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, that's Mikan. Come on. The train is ready to pull out. Mikan is trying to get aboard. Yeah, he's not going to make it. We're gaining on him. He is old. He cannot move quickly. Okay, Mikan, hold it. Uh, 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 so, so, Mikan, let go of me. Stand still. You seem to be in an awful hurry to get out of town, Mikan. I, I was just taking a vacation trip. Do not lie. That newspaper under your arm, it is folded to the story of the murder of Khalid's wife. That is why you were leaving. Do not deny it. I... Very well. Yes, yes, that is why I was leaving. I knew that I would be blamed for the killing. Oh? But I'm innocent. I swear I did not kill her. You were dismissed by her several days ago. There was a violent quarrel between you. Yes, yes. What was the quarrel about, Mikan? I... Answer! What was the quarrel about? I... I cannot tell you. Indeed. Then I have something to tell you. You are under arrest on suspicion of murder. Mitchell, I must say, I do not understand nor enjoy your attitude. Here we have a very logical suspect, a man who can give us no alibi whatsoever for last night, and who refuses to tell us why he quarreled with a dead woman. Yet you are not satisfied. Neither are you, Hama. What? You're not trying to convince me. You're trying to convince yourself. Now, see here, Mitchell... Look, you don't believe Mikan's the murderer and document stealer any more than I do. I... Yes, yes, you are right, Mitchell. Hmm. It does not seem very likely that a poor, simple old servant who had been in the employ for many years would suddenly betray his mistress' husband and kill his mistress. But if Mikan is innocent, where does that leave us? Right in the middle of nowhere. Uh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Hammer speaking. Yes? Yes? What is that? You are certain of this? I see. Very well, thank you. Well, Mitchell... Indeed, we do have the wrong man in jail. What do you mean? I am now convinced that the old servant is innocent. And moreover, I know who the guilty man is. Well, don't leave me there. That was the police laboratory. Those footprints you observed beside the road near where the wife's body was discovered in the ditch. Yeah, yeah, you were going to have the lab check. They did check them and compared them with the prints of all those who had any possible connection with the case. Whose prints were they? They belonged to Khalid's aide, Abuda. You are listening to Dangerous Assignments, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. So all of a sudden, it looks like our case is winding up fast. We beat it back out to Khalid's house. Abura is still there. But, gentlemen, I do not understand the reason for all these questions. Nor do I. Abura is my aide. I trust him completely. Yeah? Abura, I thought you told us you were with Khalid all evening. Why, certainly. Then how do you explain the footprints beside the road? Footprints? Hmm. I, I, I do not understand. We uh, spotted some footprints beside the road near the ditch where Kali's wife's body was found. The police lab says that they're your prints, Abura. What? There must be some mistake. Indeed, there was a mistake. And it appears that you made it, Abura. Wait, wait. What is it, Khalid? But of course, Abura. Do you not remember? What are you talking about, Khalid? The car, the engine trouble. Oh, yes. The shock of being suspected made me forget. Forget what? You see, on the way home last evening, Mitchell, we had engine trouble. The car sputtered and died. Abura got out to investigate, found the trouble, and fixed it. That is apparently how his footprints happened to be beside the road. Khalid, to think that we were within a few feet of your wife's body at the time. Well, Mitchell? Yeah, Lieutenant, another lead up in smoke. 
very perplexing case, Mitchell. Suddenly we have no suspect. I know. Khalid couldn't very well have done it if he was dedicating a building at the time. And Khalid told us Abura left those prints beside the road while repairing the car. That appears to clear Abura. Yeah, neither one of us believes that the old servant, Mekan, did the job. Well, perhaps someone we do not know killed Khalid's wife. Yeah, but what gets me is, why was she killed? Was it to shut her mouth about something? Was there some kind of a double cross involved? If we could but answer those questions, we... What's the matter? Here, on my desk, I just noticed. There is a note for me. Ah. The laboratory technician has been trying to get in touch with us, Mitchell. He has something further to report. Oh, where is the lab? Downstairs in the basement. Come on, let's find out what's on his mind. Uh, here we are, Mitchell. This door on the left. Okay. Hmm. Locked? The technician must be out looking for us. You got a key? Yes, yes. We can wait for him inside. After you. Thanks. Where's the light switch? On the wall to your left. Huh. There. Oh. Now, hey, I'm a, there on the floor. Yes, I see. Brother, that the technician? Yes, stabbed to death. Looks like whatever he wanted to tell us, somebody else didn't want him yes. to. Yes. So I guess now we'll never know what it was. Perhaps we will, Mitchell. What do you mean? If we are lucky. Hmm? You see, it is required that all reports to be prepared in duplicate. Hey, maybe the killer didn't know that. That is our one hope. Where are the duplicate copies kept? In this basket. Oh. Wait, perhaps this is it. Further report on footprints near scene of murder. Yeah, that must be it. Let's have it. Here you are. I see. I don't get it. Don't get what? He says that there were traces of cement dust on some of those footprints of Abura's near the ditch, but... No cement dust on the rest of the prints. But what does that mean? I don't know. Wait, there's some more. He examined the footprints around Khalid's house. He says that Khalid's footprints also show traces of cement dust. Mitchell, this is very strange. Mm. At the scene of the crime, some of Abura's footprints contained cement dust. Others did not. Then at the house, Khalid's prints contained some of the cement dust. I do not see what... Hold it a minute. What? Yeah. I think a few things just fell into place. Look, suppose you go over the lab here and see if there are any clues to the technician's killer. I'm going over and have another talk with Khalid. But I do not understand the purpose of your visit, Mr. Mitchell. Surely I have answered all of your questions. I don't think so, Khalid. Look, I want you to think back to the evening of the murder again now. Tell me exactly what happened. But we have been over it before. And we're going over it again. Very well. My aide, Abura, drove me into the city. We had dinner at a favorite restaurant of mine, a place named Ali's. Yeah, yeah, go on. After that, Abura drove me to the new building which I was to dedicate. And from then on, Abura wasn't out of your sight, huh? That's right. He... Well, well, of course, he had to go back to get my speech. What's that? Why, yes, I... I guess I forgot to mention that to you before. You sure did. You see, when I arrived at the new building, I discovered that my speech was missing from the pocket of my coat. A reason that it must have slipped out while we were dining. So I sent Abura back to the restaurant to get it. I see. How long was he gone? Oh, uh, ten or fifteen minutes, perhaps. Could it have been longer than that? Well, I suppose a few minutes more. Look, Khalid, it's very important we establish just how long Abura was gone. I know it could not have been more than a half hour. Because I was scheduled to speak a half hour after I arrived. 
And Abura had returned with the speech before then. Wait a minute. You say that Abura brought your speech back to you? But of course, that is what I sent him after. Yeah, that could figure all right. He could have lifted it out of your pocket. Then when he came back, he handed it to you, and you figured he'd gone back to the restaurant to get it. Mitchell, I, I do not understand all I'll this. I'll explain in a minute. Now, look. Did you discover your speech was missing as soon as you arrived at the new building? Yes, as I was getting out of the car. And you sent Abura back after it right away? Yes. Hmm. So Abura, when he left, hadn't been in the new building at all? But, but yes, that is right. Of course, he came inside the building a half hour later when he returned my speech to me. Yeah, that's what I thought. Now, I'd like to know about a few locations. Locations? Yes. That new building you dedicated, how far is it from your house here? Why... About a 15-minute ride. I see. And this restaurant where you ate, Ollie's, how far is that from the new building? Why, that is also about a 15-minute drive in the opposite direction from the building. Mitchell, these questions you are asking, surely you do not suspect that Abura is involved in this affair? Right now, it's a lot more than just a suspicion, Khalid. What? Why, oh, I, I cannot believe it. Well, the way it adds up. Abura swiped your speech. Then, when you told him to go back to Ali's restaurant to get it, he drove to your house instead. Killed your wife and then returned to the new building with your speech. But, but why would he kill my wife? That, I'm not sure of yet. But my hunch is that it ties in with the theft of that document. Mitchell, your suspicion of Abura, can you prove it? That's what I'm going to find out right now, Khalid. How? I'm going over to that restaurant and talk to Ali. If he tells me that Abura didn't come back there to get your speech that night, then I guess that's the final nail in Abura's coffin. I head for Ollie's. It's almost midnight when I get there, and there aren't any customers, and a little guy is sitting at a table in the center of the place all alone. Are you, Ollie? Yes. What is it? My name is Mitchell. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about last night. Questions? What, what question? Two men came to your restaurant last evening. Khalid and his aide, Abura. Uh, that is quite right. They frequently dine here. Did you see either one of them again after they left here? Yes. What? Don't tell me it was Abura. Why, yes. He returned about half an hour later and said that Khalid had misplaced his speech. Abura searched around the table where they had eaten, found the script, and left. Oh, fine. What is the matter? Nothing much except my airtight case just sprang a king-sized leak. I did not understand. Well, you've got company there, Ollie. I don't understand either. Abura was only gone from the new building a half an hour. It's 15 minutes each way from there to here and from there to Khalid's house. So he couldn't have gone both places during that time. If he came here, he sure couldn't have gone to Khalid's house and killed his wife. Fendi, I do not know what any of this is about, but if you are through asking questions, I suggest that you leave. It is late and I am tired. I would like to close up. Okay, Ollie. Funny. I'd have sworn Abura was my boy, but right now he's looking awfully clean, so that leaves me right back where I started, fresh out of Leeds. Please, Fendi, if you do not mind. Okay. Hey, must be hotter than I thought in here. You're starting to sweat all of a sudden. Sam, I'm not feeling very well. Now, if you will please leave. Yeah, I... Yeah. I'm leaving right now. What stopped me cold is the wall behind Ali. There's a serving window there, but it's pulled down so that there's just a crack left. And in that crack, I spot a glint of metal, a gun barrel. All of a sudden, I know why Ollie's sweating, and also I know I'm not fresh out of Leeds after all. I start edging towards the door, real casual-like, but I don't quite make it. That 
will keep you right where you are until I can get around the partition, Mitchell. Yeah, Bora, it's your will. It would appear that Ali here is not a very skillful actor. I don't know. Seems to me I'd sweat too if I knew you were holding a gun on me. Please, Abura, do not kill me. I did as you ordered. I said everything you told me to say. I will deal with you later, Ali. You know, Abura, I think I've finally figured out why you killed Khalid's wife. Indeed? Yeah, she was the one who stole that document for you. That's probably why she fired the old servant, Mekan. He found out about it and confronted her, but... When we questioned him, he was still loyal enough to her memory not to tell us anything. Quite right. Khalid's wife did procure the document for me, but when she learned that the United States was sending an agent over here to investigate, she became frightened. She said she was going to tell Khalid everything after he returned from dedicating the building. So you knew you'd have to shut her mouth, huh? You lifted Khalid's speech out of his pocket at dinner, and knowing he'd discover it was missing and send you after it, that gave you time to get to Khalid's house. His wife knew why you'd come. She ran out of the house. You chased her to that ditch and killed her there. Quite right, Mitchell. Later, you realized you might have left footprints near the ditch, so when you were driving Khalid home, you faked engine trouble at that spot and got out of the car and planted some more footsteps there as a cover, huh? May I ask how you found out about me, Mitch? The cement dust tripped you up. You killed the lab technician to get his report. What you didn't know was that there was a duplicate copy. That was rather (laughs) stupid of me, wasn't it? Yeah. That report showed traces of cement dust in some of your prints, and none in others. I remembered Colleague telling me that the cement work in that new building wasn't even finished yet. That meant cement dust on the floors. You hadn't set foot in the building yet when Colleague sent you after the speech, so when you killed his wife and left those first footprints... There was no cement dust in them. But later, when I pretended car trouble and got out of the car, I did have cement dust on the bottom of my shoe. That's right. Because in the meantime, you'd been inside that building while Khalid was making his speech. I admire your cleverness, Mitchell. It is a pity it comes too late for you. Oh? What happens now? Oh, to a clever man such as yourself, the answer should be quite obvious. You and Ali here are the only ones who know my little secret. No, you're not going to... I'm afraid I must, Ali... Yes, I must kill both. Yeah, I got news for you, Abura. You're going to have to choose which one of us to kill. What do you mean? I will kill both of you. I don't think so. Ollie and I are on opposite sides of the room, and you're in the center. You shoot one of us, the other will jump you. So which one of us is it going to be? Take your pick. I'm just running a bluff. Ollie's too terrified to be of any help, but the bluff works because Abura takes his eyes off me a second to shoot a glance at Ollie. And that second is long enough. I dive for the light switch. The slug whistles over me. I hug the floor in the dark and fish my gun out of my pocket. Now I'm going to wait and let Abura make the next move. Then I hear a car outside. There's light enough through the window to tell me it's Lieutenant Hama. This is just great. If he walks in that door, he'll get a slug. And if I try to warn him, I'll reveal my position and then I'll collect the slug. Got to think of something fast. Then my elbow bunched an object beside me. A serving cart loaded with dishes. I push it a few inches. The wheels don't make any noise. I give it a shove towards the wall and wait. Bora throws a shot in the direction of the noise. I spot the flash and let him have it. Mitchell. I'm okay, Lieutenant. Get the light. Kali told me you were over here. By the looks of Abura, I would say the work has been done. Yeah. Is it safe now? Uh-huh. You can crawl out from under that table, Ollie. So, Abura was our killer. Yeah, he threw me off the trail by getting Ollie to give him an alibi, but I finally tumbled to it. Yeah. Abura had a pretty neat scheme rigged, but it was that cement dust that pinned the killing on him. 
I guess that's what you might call concrete evidence. Assignment starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner is written by Bob Reif and Adrian Jondo with music by Robert Armbruster and is produced and directed by Bill Karn. Others in today's cast were Jan Arvan, Paul Duboff, Shep Menken, Wally Mayer, and Don Diamond. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another dangerous assignment. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. And that's Dangerous Assignment from April 14th, 1951, with Middle East Plug Up the Leak, starring Brian Donlevy, also in the cast, Paul Dubov, Jan Arvin, Herb Butterfield, sustained over NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, Dick Powell stars as Richard Diamond, private detective. Then Marie Wilson stars in My Friend Irma. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.